If it wasn't for the fact that Michael literally was rooting for Libby to die and pretending to hope that she lived, I would give Jack Douche of the Week. I still want to give Jack Douche of the Week because like, okay. Michael killed Anna Lucia and Libby. Right, and I totally get that. But the thing is, Douche of the Week isn't for a murderer. One of them just came out, and we talk about Naruto, unfortunately, in it. And you mentioned that you, like, sobbed or something during a moment that happened, and you wanted people to write in and guess. Well, I ran this by Andrew, so I know it's not spoilers, but Josh Prime, when I told him that you cried at Kane's attack, someone died, he said... Sure. He said... Spoiler alert. (laughs) He said that's not what he was expecting. He thought it would involve something with a a Shuma? Asuma. Or... Search of the J? Jiraiya. Yeah. Then he said, you know, actual important stuff. Never mind. Lauren is gonna Lauren. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, well, first of all, Screw you. Well, he did immediately say I didn't mean that as an insult. Okay, well, maybe not then, but I'm still a little offended. Okay, let me give some context, because in the original episode, we didn't even say what it was at risk of spoilers, but spoiler alert. It's a 20-year-old show. Not Shippuden. Is this Shippuden or regular? It's Shippuden. Okay, I don't fucking know. Okay, so for context, obviously in naruto like stuff happens over like a million episodes and i saw kakashi is my favorite character has been the whole time has always been my favorite character when i saw him die i cried and then we stopped watching it and like you know went to bed and i every time i thought about him dying i kept crying and i kept crying and i told andrew i just hope it's not real i just hope it's not real spoiler alert he comes back to life but I cried really hard I did cry when Jiraiya died and I did cry when Asuma died Josh Prime you d-bag and I do cry when important things happen and you know why I don't do the Lauren's gonna Lauren because Andrew takes my phone when we watch Naruto and if I miss anything he quizzes me and then he rewinds it and makes me watch it again so I do try to lure in it, but he forces me not to. Well, speaking of crying, we got a tearjerker today. Oh, I did cry. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Lauren Gets Lost. I'm Zane. I'm Lauren. And today we are covering season two, episode 21, question mark. I've always wondered how to fucking say this episode. I feel like that's fine. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not the word or the words question mark it's just a literal question mark i will say i knew i liked this episode but watching it and taking notes i was like damn this is a good episode a lot of good content in here it was it was a dense episode Mm -hmm. real meaty don't love that well i'm gonna go ahead and start by saying that i'm recording in my new setup oh yeah you really move it up in the world moving back in with your dad hell yeah i did But you know what? At least there won't be like gunshots while we record. 
if dad goes to bed, which he might, it's pretty late here. They'll be snoring. No, dad's just waking up from his nap. He'll be up (laughs) till 2 a.m. He'll have a snack and then he'll go back to bed. I basically just combined the layout of my room and my living room because I'm at my desk still and the TV is right next to me still. But now the bed is also right behind me. (laughs) Where's Locke? Uh, Well, I tried to get him to lay on the bed and like be in the background for TikTok, but he immediately left the room. He said, don't exploit me. Yeah. So how'd you feel about this one, Lauren? I thought it was a good episode. It was pretty intense. I have a lot of thoughts and I'm hoping I don't forget my thoughts because typically I watch like right before we record, but you were taking forever today. So... Look, I got a lot going on. I don't know if you can see what's going on in that back corner over there, but it's just a pile of clothes and picture frames. Moving has been a disaster. I also am like in my second week of my new job and Kate is really worried about money. So I've just, I got a lot going on. Well, that's what my room looks like. And I've lived here for three years. (laughs) I got my desk set up. And I love it compared to how it was set up when I originally lived here and also my old apartment. So I was very proud of that, but it also took me like an hour to do. Really, unpacking is like the worst part. I fucking hated packing, but like unpacking is even worse because at least packing, you can just fucking throw it in a box. Like, who cares? Now I got to figure out where everything goes now. I love unpacking. I love figuring out where everything goes. Yeah. Well, hit me with that synopsis, Lauren. Prompted by a dream, Echo helps Locke find the question mark. I'm not going to lie. I was concerned that you were going to be let down that this was an Echo episode after everything that happened last week. I thought maybe you would immediately like want to know what Michael was up to or just more A-team action. I thought it had a good enough balance. When I originally started the episode and remembered it was an Echo episode, I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be one of those things where a huge thing happened last week and now they're going to give us a totally different plot and not even address that? Are we not even going to get to see inside the hatch and see the fallout? But I'm glad we got both. I like that they're building the whole suspense of the Michael thing. I think that's good. Yeah. Well, I've got some quick bits. This episode was directed by Darren Serafian, who was best known for his work on Hell on Wheels and House MD. House MD is a fantastic show, and I really like this episode, so it makes sense. This was Michelle Rodriguez's final appearance as a series regular on the show. This was originally was a quick bit for last week, but upon further review, I decided to move it to this one. The reason Libby was thrown in as the second victim was because the writers were unsure of where to go with her on-island storyline. They felt so bad they wrote her off that they helped her get a role on the 2006 pilot, My Ex-Life, which was going to be on CBS, but the pilot did not get picked up. I think the writing off of Libby is one of the worst things this show did. We're going to get more into it during our coverage of the season two finale when producer Kate is on, because she has strong opinions. Uh, But just know that I would, I have never been happy with the way the Libby situation was treated. I guess I get it, but why kill her? Like 
there are people on this island that just don't really matter. Like, why can't she just be there and be a love interest to Hurley? Maybe it's important that Hurley's not happy on the island going well, forward. I don't really know. Because they needed shock value for for this moment because no one liked Donna. That's crazy to me. It's so fucking stupid. It's so stupid. Like, I normally just defend this show for whatever. Like, bad writing, bad acting. What When you get mad about the crossbolt placement on Henry Gale, I'll defend the show. This is one of those few moments that I'm like, there is no defense. This is just fucking stupid. And I understand, oh, we don't know what to do with her island storyline, I guess. But, like, so you're telling me that the whole she was in the hospital with Hurley, that's it. That's done. We're done with that storyline. I will say that they had plans to get Libby involved in flashbacks. They had all these ideas, but when they wrote her off, they couldn't do those ideas anymore because the actress booked new roles. That's disappointing to me. Why not just keep her as a C character on the island and incorporate her into Hurley's backstory if that was a story? Because honestly, for me, they built it up like it was going to be a story. I'm very disappointed in that not going anywhere. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely revisit this because I know Kate's going to want to share her opinions. But yeah, it just fucking sucks. Speaking of things that suck, Michael. Michael shot himself in the same place Sawyer was shot in when he tried to save Walt on the raft. And lastly, this is a long one, but it is interesting. After the scene where Locke and Echo watch the orientation video for the Pearl Station... A gag commercial was included in the next actual commercial break when the show was originally airing. This commercial sings the praises of the Hanso Foundation, which sharp-eyed viewers would recognize as being the copyright holders from the Dharma Initiative tape. This commercial included a website and a toll-free phone number at the end. The website was www.subliminal.com, and the phone number was 1877-HANDSORG. Viewers could call the phone number and were treated to an interactive presentation where they could listen to the voicemail messages of senior executives of the Hanso Foundation. And when the call was hacked by a mysterious woman called Persephone, they could obtain a password. Did you just say Persephone? Yeah. Persephone. Persephone. That <laughs> that does not look right for Persephone. You've never I've, read any, like, Greek mythology or any? No. In fact, I always thought the people... I'm going to offend some people here. I always thought people's obsession with Greek mythology was fucking weird. Like, I get that the Percy Jackson books are, like, huge, and I just never really got into them. But, like, I knew some people that were just, like, fucking obsessed with Greek mythology, and I never got it. Oh, don't give me that it's shit. It's so funny. It I doesn't know, but... look like Persephone at all. I know it's just really good because at first you said that and I was like that is not a name what is he talking about my fucking just as much of a name as Persephone oh I love it anyway when visiting the website viewers could play an interactive game which eventually unlocked access to the Hanso Foundation's homepage if they tried to sign up for the Hanso newsletter on the site the website would be hacked by Persephone who would ask for the password from the telephone number. Those with the password were signed up to access to the secret anti-Hanso news and messages 
from Persephone. So this was all part of that lost the experience thing that I was telling you about earlier in season two. So I never did this. Obviously, I didn't have much computer access back then. I was only like six, but it was really interesting stuff. I'd love to do maybe a bonus episode or something going into this. I'm sure we can find stuff about it on YouTube or just whatever. Or if any listeners out there did this, tell me all about it. I'd love to know. Shall we get into the episode? You're still thinking about Persephone? Yeah. Persephone. <laughs> The episode starts with Echo hard at work building the church on the beach when Aunt Lucia asks him what he is building. My initial thought was, is this, I, I assumed it wasn't like a little weird, like mini flashback. So I was like, is he seeing a ghost? Like it's definitely not real her because she was very smiley. I was like, oh my gosh, he's hallucinating a ghost. And then I was like, no, nah, it's a dream. The way she stood reminded me of Jesus. Just because she was she was barefoot and her legs were like kind of crossed at the bottom, kind of like how he was on the Bible when he or on the Bible on the cross when he was nailed to it. Just gave me that that vibe a little bit. Okay. I don't agree, but that's fine. Okay. You don't agree that it reminded me of Jesus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminded me. It's okay. We can agree to disagree about that. Echo says hello and tells her that he is building a church. She asks why, and he says that he was told to, and he thinks he was told in a dream. Anna asks if it was like the dream he's having now, which confuses Echo, but suddenly Anna has a bullet in her chest and blood coming out of her mouth, and she says that he needs to help John. Then we see images of both his time on and off the island, and Echo is at the swan hatch, where Yemi sits at the computer. Yemi says hello, and Echo immediately asks for forgiveness and tells him that he was right about everything. Emmy stops him and tells him that the work being done at the hatch is more important than anything, and it is in danger. He tells him that he needs to help John because he has lost his way, and he needs to get John to take him to the question mark. When the alarm starts going off, the clock is spinning with red and black question marks, similar to those hieroglyphics we saw earlier, and Yemi types in the code, which is all question marks. Yemi tells him that John will not want to show him the way, but he must go. Then the hatch starts to shake and there's a low hum as Yemi warns him there will be many distractions, but he must ignore them. What's done is done. Lastly, Yemi tells Echo to bring the axe. Then Echo awakes from his dream and Charlie asks him what is wrong. Echo looks at his cross before grabbing the axe and saying he needs to find Locke. What was your reaction to this dream? It was very intense. I, I don't really know... If I had, you know, a, a super... I mean, there was a lot going on there. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I literally in my notes, I wrote, wow, what a dream. <laughs> Locke, Kate, Sawyer, and Jack are making their way back to the swan when they all argue about who is dumb and who is to blame for honest slipping the gun. Eventually, Jack just tells Sawyer to go back to the beach and Kate tells them to stop. Michael falls out of the hatch with a bullet in his shoulder and tells them that Henry shot him and left. He says he was sleeping and he heard shots, and then there was this guy. And Jack tries to get him inside, and then Echo appears to help. What was your reaction to Michael's story here? Well, I think it was a pretty basic reaction of dirty fucking liar. <laughs> so, obviously, Michael's cover wasn't really explored at all. People were just kind of in shock in this episode. Did you think he was going to have any issues, questions were going to get asked or anything in this episode? No, I didn't think they suspect him at all. 
Sawyer and Kate find Ana Lucia dead on the couch and Libby laying on the floor. Locke looks at Henry's empty cell and Michael is sat down at the table when Kate confirms Anna is gone. But then Libby coughs up blood and she starts crying. Michael has a very worried look on his face as Jack gets to work. And I was very careful with my wording last week, saying that Anna was dead and Libby wasn't, because I didn't want you to think she wasn't going to pull through in this episode. Did you think she was because I never said she was dead, or did you just think she was a goner? No, I thought she was a goner because when I was thinking about, oh, Libby's going to live, I wasn't even thinking about the Michael factor of it all, that she could say that it's him. I, it's like this typical thing. So many shows have done it where like, there's one survivor who could tell the truth of what happened. And the whole time they tease that they could tell the truth and they rarely do. And I'm making up that statistic of rarely, but I feel like you always want them to. She says, Mm -hmm. Michael, Mm. that means nothing to them. So I did not think she was going to live. But they obviously, it was just like a a little bit of a tension thing for Michael. Yeah. Also, Hurley got a chance to say goodbye. More on that later. Echo lays Anna to rest in the armory and blesses her as he says a prayer. Locke watches this whole thing, but meanwhile, Libby is struggling and is in shock as Jack and Kate try to keep pressure on her wound. Kate asks if Jack can do anything, and he just needs a minute. Michael asks how she is, and Jack says he's doing what he can, and then asks how long ago this happened. Michael says about 30 minutes, and Jack immediately wants to follow the trail. Sawyer tells him that Henry has a gun and he's not afraid to use it, and Jack argues that he shot three of them. Sawyer then asks him who's going to take care of Libby while he hunts Henry down, so Echo volunteers to go after Henry and asks for Locke's help. Jack tells them if they see anything, come back, and they will make a plan together. And Echo approaches John with the axe and tells him to go, and he has like this little creepy smile that kind of bothered me, but... Jack, come the fuck on, dude. Dude, thank you. I'm so glad that you did it before me because it's going to be another episode of me being so annoyed by Jack. Just one thing after another of him being so Jack. I know. Stop. Does he ever grow? Does he ever stop being like this? Just say yes, lie to my face. I can't stand him. (laughs) I hate him. He When he gets into, like, doctor mode is when he's at his worst. And, like, in the Boone episode, it was, like, kind of justified because everybody was, like, freezing and shit. And, like, initially when Kate was like, is there anything you can do? And he, like, doesn't answer. And she's like, hello? And he's like, I heard you or whatever. I was like, here we go again. There really wasn't much in this episode. But Jack still was being, like, a dick. And it just wasn't, it wasn't the same as the Boone. He just was like was, like, way too much. Well, the thing was, he didn't even want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a little adventurer out in the jungle chasing after Henry. Bruh, she's dying in front of you. Who else do you think can help her? And if he had already determined, I can't do anything for her, but he hadn't said that to anybody else. He attended to her for like five minutes and then was like, let's go. Well, I mean, yeah, five minutes, but there's really not much you can do for a gut shot. I I understand that, but I just feel like, know your role. This is your role right now. Be a doctor. Be a doctor. Be a leader. 
be there for your people after a tragedy like this, maybe fucking bury them. And also, when has chasing after the others ever fucking worked? They never leave a trail. They never come back with what they wanted and they always get their asses kicked. He just always makes decisions very hot-headed. He doesn't think them through. He's just like, we got to build an army. We're going to chase Henry, all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, it's not going to work. And I get emotions are high. He's pissed. He's angry. But he just gets worked up at the wrong people. Like going toe-to-toe with Sawyer with the whole like, like getting in his face with the, he shot three of our people. It's like, yeah, Sawyer is one of those people. Why are you, not the ones that got shot, but one of your people. Why are you yelling at him? Because he yells at everybody. I do think it's interesting that they go through this entire episode without asking the questions of how did this happen? Like, they're like, oh, he shot three people. He was locked in a room. They never ask Michael, how did he get the gun? How did he, who opened the door? I think the assumption is because they were all on their way back knowing that Anna stole Sawyer's gun and Henry attacked her, that she tried to kill him and he somehow got the gun. Now they need to remember that he was fucking tied to the floor. That is a great point. So a couple things. One, I just remembered that Michael initially said I was asleep. Yeah. And I woke up to all this chaos. So I guess they just assume he doesn't know. I'm curious to know if when Locke returns, it will he be like, Henry was tied up. How would he have done this? Now, because they don't know, she said, untie yourself. You know, I yeah. don't know if they would make all those connections. So I'm curious to know if they start questioning it more. If they look at the rope, they'll see that it was cut through and they might just put two and two together. I think their brains are naturally just going to go to, he, he cut himself loose, Anna cut him something. They're not going to immediately be like, Michael turned on us. Yeah, I don't think that they would assume that. I'm just curious if he will ever be under any suspicion. Or like, okay, what's the end game for Michael? He obviously did this assuming that he's going to get to see Walt or they're going to give him Walt or something to do with Walt. So he's going to have to go back to them, right? Mm-hmm. so what's he gonna do just be like bye or is he gonna sneak off again like what's gonna happen there you mentioned you wondering if anyone's ever gonna be suspicious of him who do you think would be most suspicious of him amongst the group i feel like if anybody's gonna be suspicious it would be Locke when he gets back i don't know why i just feel like they've kind of had an up and down relationship i feel like jack's just not thinking logically I would love it if it was, like, someone random. Like, I would love if, like, Sawyer was just kind of like, you know what, I've thought through this, and it actually doesn't make sense. Are you now, are you only thinking about the people that are in the hatch? Honestly, I guess, like, if Saeed ever, uh, you know, blessed me with his appearance in an episode, (laughs) he might be able to kind of think about it and be like, you know, as much as he has his own issues with Anna, like, he might be able to be like, she would not make that same mistake twice. You know, how is she going to put herself in that position again? Mm-hmm. Also, she's on the couch. Exactly. She's dead on the couch. That doesn't make any fucking sense. So I'm hoping somebody can look at this scene and go, no, these are two girls that were caught off guard. And Michael's the only one living to tell the tale. And two girls who have survived 
being attacked by the others for 48 days. You know, you would like, think they would be more careful. Our Lucia is not going to make that same mistake twice in one day or two days or whatever that time period was. Absolutely not. I just hope somebody's smart enough to see it. We get our first flashback as Echo takes confession, but he is actually speaking with someone who's helping him with fake papers. They speak in a dark corridor as Echo pays him, and then this man offers to hook Echo up with some work with his friends in L.A. What's this? What is this person called? The Monsignor? 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 I don't know. I don't remember. They never say his name. I don't even know what that means. I've heard it. I don't know what it means. The Monsignor approaches, and Echo, who's posing as Father Tundi, tells him that this man is helping him with his trip to the States. Then the Monsignor tells him that he's going to have to postpone his trip. They have a miracle. We learn a girl fell into a river and drowned. She was dead until the next day, and then she woke up. The girl's mother tells Echo that this is a miracle and a confirmation of faith. Echo asks where the girl is, and the mother says that she is with her father. Echo asks what he thinks, but again the woman says that the world needs to know. The Monsignor tells her an investigation must happen and Echo will start. In private, Echo tells him that he does not believe this was a miracle, but the Monsignor tells him that this is why he chose him. Briefly, what did you think of this flashback story as a whole? I was very confused as to why it was relevant and where it was going. Until we saw a special little someone... And then the very end flashback scene. And I was like, okay, it makes sense. But yeah, up until then, I was like, what is the point? Also, it made me think, did did you hear recently about the alleged miracle that happened in like Maryland or some shit? No. Recently. Please told by like Google. Possible Connecticut. Mm. I remember Andrew told me about it. And when he told me what the miracle was, I was like, how would they ever prove that? Oh, okay. This is what it was. It was that they like didn't have enough bread for the Eucharist. And then when they like reopened the, what's that little thingy called? I'm still trying to figure out what a Eucharist is. Communion. Okay. When they opened the little thingy where they keep the bread and the wine, yeah, the bread had multiplied and there was enough for everybody bullshit right oh my fucking god that's weak he he said that andrew told me that i was like how would they ever prove that like the vatican has to same thing that we see in this episode they have to investigate miracles how do you prove that this was in connecticut yeah the vatican's not sending anybody for that i don't know you can google it that's i didn't read past the first paragraph but speaking of the vatican dad every now and then will ask us how many countries we're up to and he was just like, wouldn't it be cool if you got at least one listener in every country? Now, the Vatican might be hard. <laughs> oh, goodness. On the island, Echo leads Locke through the jungle, who stops him and asks what trail he's following. He hasn't seen any evidence since they left the hatch. Echo asks him where the question mark is. Locke is confused and tells Echo that he's just going to go back. And Echo tells him he knows that he does not want to show him the way, but he must. Locke says he does not have to show him anything, and Echo says he is sorry before headbutting Locke and knocking him out. Locke was very stubborn in this episode. How'd you feel about that? He was, and I, with all within the episode, I teetered back and forth between being annoyed with him and feeling bad for him. 
Hmm. And I'll kind of give you my points on each as we hit them. Locke comes to and asks why Echo hit him. And Echo says, because he was being difficult. <laughs> Which, fucking love Echo. He's so funny at times. I also forgot to say that Echo gets this look in his eye right before he's about to knock you out with his skull. Mm-hmm. Love it. Locke asks Echo if he's insane and reminds him that Anna was murdered. And I have to say, I really hate that the dynamic between Echo and Anna Lucia was dropped after like the March Across the Island storyline ended. It's like they had like one scene together after Shannon died and that was it. Yeah. Echo tells Locke about how Anna Lucia wants him to help Locke find the question mark. Locke says he doesn't know what he's talking about and Echo agrees, but he says that he knows and that's all that matters. Locke pulls out the map and tells him it's nothing. It's a memory. 10 seconds of nothing, which is a great quote. Echo tries to make sense of the map. He points at the swan and asks if that's Locke's hatch. And again, Locke says it's not his hatch. Echo determines which way they should go. And Locke says they should not be out there. Now, Anna would be alive if he just told Jack what Henry did to her. Echo then tells him that Anna told him to go to the question mark with Locke in his dream. And Echo asks if Locke has ever followed a dream. He was very sarcastic about these dream comments. That's where I was annoyed. He was like, oh, a dream? I'm like, Locke, you literally followed a dream and got Boone killed. Are you joking right now? Like, I can understand having a negative reaction to the whole I had a dream type of thing. But the reaction shouldn't be sarcasm. It should be like, I'm not going down this road again. I I would understand that reaction, but he's acting like he doesn't believe him. Well, he is questioning his faith a lot in this episode, but I- I get that, but it's like he's questioning Echo. Like, oh, a dream, really? Yeah, Locke, a dream. You've been there. So in Fire and Water, when Charlie told Locke about his dream, I asked you if there was any chance Locke was not entertaining this conversation because of everything that happened with Boone. And you said you do not think that was the case. Now, a couple people on Facebook said similar things that you said, and I argued my same point, and they were like, yeah, I kind of see it that way. A couple people also just came out and said that they agree with me. I wanted to bring that up, but I knew this episode was coming. And it Locke was dealing with a lot of guilt in this episode. Do you think now how you see how he reacts to Echo's talk of dreams there is any truth to what I was saying about how he did not want to entertain Charlie's dream speeches because of what happened to Boone? I don't remember that conversation. And I don't remember enough about my original stance on it or that plot line. I'm going to say no. How about now? Do you think what happened to Boone has affected Locke's faith in his dreams in the island? Maybe. Maybe. Think about everything that has happened since Boone died and how he said Boone was a sacrifice that the island demanded. All roads lead to the hatch. And now he's being told by Henry and later that none of it was real. I think that's what's making him question it. I think maybe he's like retroactively questioning the whole Boone situation, but I don't think he was really questioning any of it until he started to get this evidence that like the hatch isn't what he thought it was. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it a little bit too much, but I feel like when he saw that map, when the lockdown happened, that could have even been something that kind of planted a seed of doubt in his mind. Like whoever was in this hatch before me was also questioning things, looking like, I don't really know. I think I might just be spouting 
bullshit now, but to answer your question, what was your question? <laughs> you 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 answered it. But let's let's <laughs> you just you lost me there. I lost myself. Lauren, did day. you get lost? Oh my god. That was embarrassing. Um, let's dive into something that you said a little bit more. Do you have an answer in your mind? Where did that map come from? We know Desmond was there. We know Kelvin was there. Could have been someone before them. I I would have no way of guessing. I have no idea. I would assume, because I'm still under the impression until I get more evidence, I'm going to say that what Desmond told us was true, that he really did was on a race around the world and he ended up there like stop laughing other people have just ended up on this island so why can't he just end up there it's the race around the world part that makes me laugh it just sounds so funny okay anyway i feel like he wouldn't have enough knowledge about the other bases to have made that map he was there for three years though i get that i feel like my best guess would be because kelvin had a partner who died right Mm -hmm. i think my best guess would be kelvin's partner died and he realized no one was coming for him and that's when he started to do all of this because he was kind of yeah i'm gonna go kelvin did it the invisible ink is interesting because if you're doing it if you're alone but kelvin does know he doesn't know that he's being watched it could just be that he's paranoid how does he have invisible ink? You can make it. Yeah, with urine. Ew. <laughs> there might be other ways to make it. I wouldn't just base that one episode of The Office on on your on the knowledge of making <laughs> invisible ink. I didn't get that from The Office, but maybe I did like subliminally. I don't know why I know you can use urine, but well, anyway, Dwight, Dwight does a whole thing about it. Continue. In the next flashback, Echo interviews the coroner slash Undertaker. And the man says that the girl was in the water for two hours. Echo asks if he has any experience in this cause of death, and he says he's an undertaker. This makes Echo give him a questioning look, and the man says that he is qualified to be a coroner. He went to medical school. Echo asks when he learned that the girl was not dead, and it was during the autopsy. Now, when I first watched this, it scared the shit out of me. But I feel like this has been done a couple times. I remember a lot of CSI episodes where they like start the Y incision and then the guy just like wakes up or whatever. For real? Yeah. I've never seen that. My question, and I can't believe this isn't something that I've thought of like prior to this episode. You watched the show for the first time being so young. Mm -hmm. Did you know what an autopsy was at that age? I was watching CSI at this point too. So yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Like, do you ever, like, as you rewatched it, were there things that you were like, oh, that's what they're alluding to? Or, oh, oh that's what happened? All the time. All the time. It, Sawyer's, like, nicknames and references for one. But, like, there's so many times where I just, like, didn't realize what was going on. Like, all the sex stuff, I just flew over my head. Yeah. I get, I just now thought about that, that you were six five years old yeah. when this started yeah like the the whole thing with Jin and son and like who's the father all great oh, to me yeah. i was like yeah Jin's the father of course he's the father what the fuck's going on here but i'm yeah. sure you didn't even question it at all because it's a subtle plot line yeah like they don't really outright question it except yeah. for like sh- when she says i've never been with anybody else but 
you probably just took that at face value and, and never questioned it beyond yeah that. also you don't even know how babies were made at that point so yeah i was just like you were like okay okay and then like you know we, we talk about how rose and bernard wasn't a big deal and and saeed and shannon wasn't a big deal well it wasn't a fucking big deal to me because i was six and this was me learning that people were in couples yeah because you didn't have any six years old you 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 definitely didn't have any um like racism in you now you've got loads nope <laughs> no nope. kidding i'm oh, sorry i <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I understood the storyline for the most part, which I toot my horn a little bit. This is a confusing show to watch it as a kid and like understand what's going on. But yeah, there was a lot of shit that I was like, no fucking idea what we're talking about. Well, she's like, not to bring up Naruto again, but this is a children's show. Naruto is like for kids. And I watch it sometimes and I'm like, for children? There's stuff that confuses me. There's stuff that goes over my head. And there's also some pretty, like, complex themes. That's have all you, I'll say. Have you watched Avatar The Last Airbender? Like, the remake? Or, like, what we watched as kids? What we watched as kids. Yeah, together with you. Great show. If you want to fucking watch that and, like, talk about that on the podcast, I would easily talk about that before Naruto. That's a fucking great show. I'm not... It's just, like, Naruto is really relevant to me right now, so I have to bring it up occasionally. Anyway, the coroner pulls out a recording and plays it. He's talking his way through the autopsy and flirting with his assistant over a dead body. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking gross. Wait, what? He, he like, says that the room smells of, like, a lovely scent of lavender or something like that. And he's, like, referencing his assistant. And she's like, oh, stop it. And there's, like, like little flirty banter. And I'm like, there's a dead kid in front of you. I did not even hear that. And I had subtitles on. Oh, so you're watching it with subtitles now. I literally told you last week. It's because we got to a place in Naruto Shippuden when it's not dubbed. We have to watch with subtitles. And I'm too lazy to turn the subtitles off and on when I switch between shows. So now they're just on. I actually got halfway through this episode before I realized the subtitles weren't on. I was like, oh, fuck. But during this recording and after the flirting, the girl comes to and everyone just freaks the fuck out he takes the tape out and gives it to echo and he says please take this i never want to listen to it again that scared the shit out of me terrifying fucking gross you've always liked saying like uh blood curdling scream i've heard you use that a couple times that was one of them yeah for sure on the island echo is lost and asks if the line on the map is a river Fox says it's a wavy line and reminds him that he transcribed the map, and he's not even sure if that's what it is. Echo steps on one of the heads of the Virgin Mary statues. They have arrived at the Yellow Beechcraft. Echo asks him if Locke is the one who found the plane, and he says yes. Then he tells him how it was up in the canopy until Boone made it fall, and then he died. A sacrifice the island demanded. Echo asks what he means, and Locke tells him it's nothing. Then he asks what they're doing next, and Echo says they will make camp, and await for further instruction. What was your thoughts when they reached this beachcraft? I was confused. I was like, how is this relevant again? Then later, I was like, I guess it makes sense. He's been, you know, Yemi's coming to him in his dreams. This is where he found Yemi. Like, it makes sense that he would be led back here. But yeah, I didn't really have many thoughts beyond that. Jack is impatiently waiting for Echo and Locke to return. 
and Kate reminds him that finding the trail in the dark will be difficult. Michael asks about Libby, and Jack says the bleeding has stopped. Kate asks if that is good, and Jack says no. I'm guessing that just means she's bleeding internally now. I actually wasn't sure at all. I was like, why though? I was like, yeah. in in one world, it has to be good. Or I thought maybe it's because her heart is beating so weakly that it's not even really like pushing yeah. blood out of the wound anymore. That's a great question for Devin. Michael asks if there's anything Jack can do, and Jack says he can make her comfortable, but he doesn't have what he needs. And then he looks at Sawyer. He tells him he needs the heroin. Sawyer tells him to give him time to go get it, and Jack sends Kate with him. Sawyer protests, but Jack again tells her to go. Kate asks why, and Sawyer reveals that Jack knows that the drugs are with the guns, meaning he either reveals where the stash is or he lets Libby suffer. Jack doesn't deny it, and Kate seems shocked as Sawyer goes to get them, and Michael looks over at Libby and rests his head against the wall. What were your thoughts on Jack using this opportunity to make a move on the guns? I don't know. I I wonder if I'm clouded by my hatred for Jack. I didn't like it. I thought it was nasty. Ill-timed, for sure. Ill-timed. Like, part of me, I I had this conversation with myself. I was like, you know, is it right that Sawyer hoards everything? Maybe not. But I do think he's shown time and time again, including in this moment, that he will give you what you need. Mm -hmm. You know? And I just feel like he, Jack, exploits that. Because he's like, I know Sawyer's going to give us this stuff. He's not going to make Libby suffer. So I'm going to send Kate with him. What does it say about Jack that he thinks so little of Sawyer that after three people being done, well, in their in their eyes, three of their people being gunned down, two of them not making it, that Sawyer wouldn't be like, yeah, take the guns. Let's get revenge. I mean, these are people he marched across the island with. They literally carried him on a stretcher. He owes these people his life. And he Jack really thought he was just going to like let them die in vain? I just think Jack is too pig-headed to think good of anybody that he has had previous tension with. Like, he thinks Locke is an idiot, and he thinks Sawyer is a dickhead, no matter what, even when they've given us evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for the fact that Michael literally was rooting for Libby to die and pretending to hope that she lived, I would give Jack Douche of the Week. I still... (laughs) want to give jack douche of the week because like okay michael killed anna lucia and libby right and i totally get that but the thing is douche of the week isn't for a murderer like we gave anthony cooper douche of the week after he conned Locke out of his kidney because what a dick move right but (laughs) no you can't no there's no argument to be made here michael is douche of the week but jack really gave him a run for his money Fine, 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 fine. Only because he just stood there with that stupid fucking look on his face. Like, did she say anything? Did she say anything? Did she mention me? (laughs) She mentioned anything about, like, who shot her? Because it was that guy. It was that guy. And I don't know anything else. Who was that guy again? Um, Also, something that needs to be brought up in the long con when Jack asks why... Locked in, just get rid of the statues. I, Locke said, well, we could use it as like a 
way to get rid of pain. And you were like, that's dumb. I was like, yeah, but what if it's like they need to put someone out of their their misery? And you were like, that's fucking stupid. (laughs) As soon as that happened, I was like, there we go. There's one of Zane sneaking in a spoiler that I didn't know. Drink, everybody. Isn't it fun? (laughs) Not really. I don't understand why you hate it so much. I was listening to an episode that came out recently when Hurley says tailies for the first and only time. And you were like, you're a dick. I want to punch you in the face. What about me referring to them as tailies earned that kind of reaction? All I did was call them something that happened in the future. And you're like, you're a dick. I hate you. Because one, you tried to act like that. That was your like from your own mind Two, it's like i'm the butt of a joke you know what i mean like i'm not in on the joke and i don't like not being in on the joke oh and this whole podcast is you being the joke no no lauren's gonna lauren shut up <laughs> on the beach kate asks how anna got sawyer's gun and sawyer tells her that she must have lifted it off of him kate asks how and sawyer dodges the question They arrive at his tent, and he tells her to go in first. She questions why they are there when they should be going to the stash, and he asks her if she has to make everything so difficult, which was funny. They go in, and Sawyer reveals that the stash is in his tent under his bed. She comments on it, but Sawyer says that it fooled her. They pack up when Hurley asks if they have seen Libby, and both their hearts break as Kate delivers the news. That was so sad. I actually forgot about that little tidbit of information that Hurley has to find out. He thinks she's going to get blankets. May I remind you that this is the next day, so he thinks Libby stood him up. Ah, that's so much worse. That's so much worse. And the fact that, like, he didn't even go to the hatch to be like, oh, where are you? Because he probably just, like, low self-esteem was just like, ah, she just doesn't want to Oh, that's so hard. Don't love that. Yeah, breaks my heart. Echo tends to the fire as Locke sleeps, and then Yemi appears. Yemi tells him not to wake Locke and to follow him. Yemi climbs the canopy, so Echo uses the axe to climb up. And when he reaches the top, Yemi is in a wheelchair. And he tells John to wake up. Then Echo falls, and Locke awakes from his dream. Fucking weird. (laughs) I liked the twist that that was Locke's dream. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was a cool little like, whoa. Echo realizes that Locke had a dream and asks if a priest was there. He reveals that that was his brother. He tells him that this is why they had to go together. They will be told where to go together. And Locke says he wasn't told anything. It was him. And Echo was the one who climbed the canopy. Echo tells him to wait and begins to climb, and Locke tells him that it was just a dream and it's not safe. I really felt for Locke in this episode. This is one of those episodes where it's it's obviously centric for one person, but it it doubles in in character development for the other. Similar to a drift at the beginning of the season with Michael and Sawyer, this episode was almost just as much about Locke, in my opinion. Just the 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 guilt. He feels for Ana Lucia's death. And now he has to relive Boone as well. Yeah, this is where I felt bad for him. 
he was just so you could see how guilt-ridden he was when he was trying to tell echo not to climb you know that's how the whole boon situation Mm -hmm. happened so that was hard to watch i felt for him i can't remember who it was but i saw on tiktok a really good fan edit of this scene and the scene with boon uh set to uh olivia rodrigo's do you get deja vu if i can find it i'll i'll stitch it on the on the on the tiktok it was months ago that I saw it, but I really liked it, and I would love to give you a shout-out. Hopefully, Editing Zane can come in. Editing Zane here. It was at freaking.lost on TikTok. Freaking with an X in between the A and K. Go check it out. In the next flashback, Echo arrives at the home of the girl that the miracle occurred to, and she just stares at him with really wide eyes. It was kind of creepy. The mother tells him it is not a good time, and her husband comes out. Look familiar? I thought I was going crazy. I was like, I know this guy. I know this guy. And I know this guy relevant to the show. And then I started to freak out. I was like, what if I'm not supposed to know who this guy is? And he's important later. And this is going to ruin the integrity of Lauren gets lost. And then I was like, oh, no, he's the psychic. He tells them to go inside. And then he tells Echo that this was not a miracle. Echo says the doctor thought otherwise. And the psychic says that he's covering for his negligence. He explains his daughter fell into the river and her body shut down and went into hypothermia. Echo asks why his wife thinks that this is a miracle and the psychic says because she is a zealot. And all of this is to spite him because he is a fraud, a con man preying on people as a psychic. He says he meets people desperate for a miracle, but there are none to be had, none in this world. Echo says he will report back to the church that this was no miracle, but his daughter is alive and that is all that matters. As he leaves, the girl stares at him through the window. So this was really interesting to me because when he when we see him with Claire, he was very much not acting like a fraud. He seemed very genuine about what he was telling her, like calling her in the middle of the night. And I'm pretty sure he paid for her plane ticket, right? So it's not like he's conning her out of money. Like he that's very interesting. We have talked in the past about the island's influence off island. And in fact, when talking about this, the effects that the island may have, may or may not have on everyone's fate and destiny off island, dad said, must be a really big magnet. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) But we have talked about this in the past. If he is confirming here that he is a con man and then he is obsessed with Claire, buys the plane ticket, tells her, you must be the one to raise the baby. Is it possible that the island gave him an actual vision? The question I have, though, is the timeline of all of this. Because Claire goes to him when she's, like, not so pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, ooh, I can't help you, right? Instead of conning her out of, his, out of her money. Right. Then, over the course of her pregnancy, he harassing her harassing her harassing her then right before he sends her on the plane Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. where in the timeline is does this stuff happen with echo because for him to be like i'm a con man is he saying that after he's had at least part of this experience i would assume it's pre buying the plane ticket for her but post uh having his very first meeting with her 
Because obviously the daughter follows up with Echo at the airport mm-hmm. before he gets on the flight. And I'm like, honestly, do we really think nine months has passed? And she's like, oh, I tracked him down at the airport. You know what I mean? I just feel like these things are kind of happening around the same time. So how is he so to Echo being like, I'm a con man, I'm a fake psychic. And then to Claire being like, I am so sure about the outcome of this baby. You know what I mean? Maybe the the vision about Aaron really spooked him. And like now he's like trying to dial it back a little bit. Like that's why he was so when you when you think about it, if he if he's this con, this fraud, and his, a miracle happens to his daughter, wouldn't you want to be like, "Oh, the gift, the gift that I has have received has also been blessed upon my daughter. She's back from the afterlife." That we we both have this connection instead he's like this isn't a miracle no one needs to fucking know go away oh no i have questions a question mark if you will (laughs) that that is this episode that is the reaction after this episode just huh (laughs) yeah more of a hmm echo continues to climb and Locke tells him to be careful Echo slips, but he's okay, and when he gets to the top, he does not see anything. Locke calls him, and when he looks down, he sees a question mark in the ground that the Beechcraft fell upon. Before we get any further, what was your reaction to the fact that two pretty big island landmarks are just right on top of each other? What do you mean? The island landmarks being the question mark and the plane? The pearl and then the Beechcraft. I feel like that's the whole point. Like, the circle was like a landing zone so it makes sense well i guess the plane didn't land there it fell there yeah but then you'd just be like it was yummy so you think that the the reason the ground was salted so it can be seen from above was for the beechcraft not for the beechcraft but the beechcraft could have seen it and tried to land when they were in maybe an emergency situation they saw like oh this is marked you know, kind of as like a universal landing zone type of situation. It's a cleared area. They tried, but they crashed. Well, I mean, it's it's a target, not a landing strip. So it would make more sense for like a pallet. Mm, okay, then maybe they were going to drop all their heroin there, but they crashed instead. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's let me just say that this is a very important piece of the island. We'll see it again. Echo climbs down from the canopy and tastes the dirt. It has been salted, so nothing will grow. Locke says that there is nothing here, but Echo says, like we just said, that this is a target to be seen from above. Locke asks who they are and what place, and Echo tells him to come with him. They search around the plane and find metal. They move the plane and uncover a set of doors. The fourth hatch to be found. Echo uses the axe to open the handles, and Locke asks if he can be the one to do so. Echo gets really giddy now that Locke is on board, and they open the door to reveal a ladder going down. And I made that comment earlier about deja vu, but man, this episode really, it was just kind of like the highlights of Locke's journey so far. The canopy, we found another hatch, we've opened another hatch, we got an orientation film. That is true. There are a lot of... But it's interesting to see because if you use those as benchmarks of like Locke's mindset in those two times, it's really interesting to see the difference. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction when they opened the door and you saw an actual complete ladder this time? 
and it going straight down. Like yet again, I wouldn't go down there. <laughs> at the, I guess I should specify at the Swan Hatch, Jack smashes open a statue and he gets the heroin. I like this scene because it's it's very subtle, but Locke says earlier in Long Con, you want to be you want to break seven Virgin Mary statues or however many it was. I I'm superstitious. Jack just smashes it open, no problem. Man of science, man of faith. Mm. Sawyer watches Jack do all this as Kate and Michael look at Libby. Then Hurley tells Michael how they were going to have their first date. And then he says he's glad Michael is okay. That pissed me off so much. Okay, fine. I wholeheartedly agree with Douche of the Week now. That made me so mad. Mm -hmm. How can you just sit there and not... I guess it really... if, If he really is doing all this for Walt... It really makes you wonder, like, how far are you willing to go for your kid? Are you willing to murder two people? Not just two people, two friends. Two friends. Someone that, like, helped you. Now, Ana Lucia did throw him in a pit. Like, I just, ugh, it's so, it's so icky. The way he just sits there. I, I know he probably feels bad but he obviously doesn't feel that bad it's one of those situations where you feel bad but if you confess now it was all for naught yeah you can't he needed to have come back immediately and been like this is what i'm supposed to be doing but i'm not gonna do it or they could have done like a sting operation where he gets he gets henry free but then they like wait wait you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i'm just saying oh i hate it and i need more information but i hate it that information will come. At the Pearl, they climb into this new hatch and turn on the power. The hatch is made up of two viewing chairs and a wall of TVs. The place is trashed. Locke turns on some of these TVs and gets nothing but static, but a couple of them show the swan hatch. He sees Jack. This hatch has cameras as well. And they see a computer and they print a log of various times and the word accepted. Echo finds a stack of empty notebooks. Locke puts his map into a mnemonic tube and it gets sucked away. And then Echo finds an orientation film. Station 5, The Pearl. Lauren, did you notice something about the doctor who introduces himself? Uh, he was wearing a turtleneck? No. Do you recognize him? He was the same guy from the other orientation film? Yes, Dr. Marvin Candle. However, okay. this time... He introduces himself as Dr. Mark Wickman. So I'm not crazy. When he said his name, I was like, no, I swear to God, it was like Candle or something. Wickman. So there's a correlation. Interesting. Interesting. He tells us that the Pearl is a monitoring station for the other Dharma Initiative products to be observed and recorded. The tour of duty is three weeks, and the job is to watch the other Hatch participants in an experiment that they are unaware that they are participating in. Wickman says they do not need to know what the Swan workers believe they are doing, just know that they think their job is of the utmost importance. Everything is to be documented, and when a journal is full, put it in a tube and send it to HQ. At the end of their shift, they will go to the Pala Ferry, which will take them back to... and then it cuts out. Then Wickman hits us with the namaste and good luck, and the video ends. What do you make of all that? 
oh my God, there's so much to make. So just to clarify, because I didn't actually realize this when I first watched it. Are you saying that the only hatch that's being observed for the, this task is the swan hatch? I will say it's unclear. Okay, because I didn't think it was just the swan. So let me say a couple things. My very first thought was, can they rewind that tape and see that Michael was the one that shot everybody? That well, was my it, first thought. It's It was the 1980s, so I'm going to say no. I feel like rewinding was a thing. Mom, yeah, but you had to put a tape in and actually record it. Okay, well, maybe they're recording it somewhere. Anyway, secondly, my next thought was, well, maybe the others, because we do see that they have like Dharma stuff, mm -hmm. right? They're Dharma, I guess. Access to the staff station. Right, they're in a station. They have Dharma shit. What if everything that they're doing is like just one of these, like basically a social experiment is what they're describing in this orientation video. And these like, it doesn't, you know, what they are doing, they think is very important and you're just going to observe them. But they think that, you know, it's important, whatever. So what if all this other shit is just, they think that what they're doing is like saving the world. They have to get the good people and, and they feel justified in taking pregnant women and stealing children and doing all this stuff because it's all this big social experiment science cult like I've said before. That was my second thought. My third thought is basically what Locke thought. So you're telling me that pressing the button is literally nothing. It's just an experiment to see what people will do when they're told to press a button, but not given a reason to do so. Before we go any further, we asked once upon a time, how do the others know that Michael is alone in the hatch? Do you think they were utilizing the Pearl Station? They could have, or that feed could be going somewhere else, maybe get different hatch. I mean, did the plane fall on top of the hatch before they could see Michael in there or after? Before, well, it, after. it fell before they even opened the hatch. Right. Okay. You're so right. I can't remember things like this. But the others don't leave a trail. So if they moved it to get in, they could have easily just put it back. That's true. And also we've seen that a lot of these hatches have multiple entrances. So they could have come in a different way. And by a lot of these hatches, I do mean two of them <laughs> well we're up to four now yeah but i don't know if that one small one had multiple entrances the arrow yeah yeah i don't think the arrow or the pearl have a second entrance well anyway that's interesting it's all interesting and i have another thought we'll get there lastly where do you think this paula fairy is supposed to take them I feel like there's got to be another island like nearby that maybe is a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Habitable? I, yes. Along those lines, I'm looking for the word like not civilized, like more developed. I'm thinking like maybe there's an, an island nearby that's more developed where there's kind of like a larger base where the like the higher up people are where maybe they've got supplies and they, and they bring people in and out and stuff like that. So like the DeGroots or Alvar Hanso? Maybe. I mean, they're probably like in New York in their penthouse, mm. just going to galas and shit. <laughs> last thing I know I said before last thing, but why does this doctor keep changing his name? 
not a clue I guess like just for like okay what if they talk to each other they can be like well Dr. Candle said Mm. they can be like well Dr. Wickman said I, I have no idea it's weird so let's get into what Locke thinks about all this Mm-hmm. Echo asks if he wants to watch that again and Locke says he's seen enough but then Echo starts packing up papers and Locke asks why and Echo says that this may be important Locke asks if they watch the same film and Echo says that he believes that the button pushing is more important now than ever and Locke says that it's a joke they are rats in a maze with no cheese and Echo says they are being tested They don't push the button because they are told to do so in a film. Locke asks what the reason is, and Echo says it's because they believe they are meant to. And he asks Locke if that was the reason he pushed the button in the first place. Locke says he was never meant to do anything. That every single second of his pathetic little life is as useless as the button. He says it's nothing, it's meaningless. And he asks, who is Echo to say it's not? So your reaction to Locke's breakdown. It's interesting because I thought it before he said it. Basically everything that he's saying, like, oh, the button is pointless. It's like essentially placebo. There's they were just to see if they would. And not even them. It's just they're getting like passed down information from some guy who was also told that information probably. So, but then when I saw Locke's reaction, I felt sad because it was just like, you know, he's, he believed in this so wholeheartedly. He thought there was a greater purpose. And now he believes that it's all for naught. And I am very heavily agreeing with him. I don't really see, I mean, I guess Echo just has the guidance of his dream. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I can see where he's coming from. But the dream wasn't that specific. The thing was, is Yemi in the dream is saying the work in the hatch, Locke's work is very important. But the thing was, at the time, what Locke was working on was trying to find this question mark, like trying to depict that. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, the importance is that they're finding the question mark that they find this pearl station that's the important part but echo takes it as oh no the button is important yeah so i feel like the show thus far doesn't make me question echo like he's pretty on point but i'm kind of like are you interpreting this correctly am i just misinterpreting it i really don't feel like it's so straightforward that what Yemi meant in the dream was that the button pushing is what's important. I feel like there's something bigger that's important. Well, like you said, they there's a camera in the Pearl. And it seems like the others have a lot of access to these Dharma stations. It could lead to something there. Yeah, I just feel like the discovery of the Pearl is huge. That's a big discovery. Pushing the button, I am like very much go ahead and mark it down. I'm like button, not real not real still a magnet there's still a magnet somewhere you just don't think that magnet is related to the hatch i'm not sure how the magnet plays in but there's a magnet don't worry so here's something we didn't i didn't really think about and i didn't prep any questions for and while everything's happening at the swan libby's dying they're waiting 
a couple hours are going by. That button's getting pressed, maybe? Maybe not? I would assume they were still pressing it. Like, obviously, the first time that they don't press the button is probably going to be, like, a plot point. Also, at the very end, it starts to doop, doop. So that, the end of it is, like, what's going to be the future of the button? Are we going to keep pushing the button? Obviously, Echo is like, I'm going to keep pressing it. Yeah. Which, like, fine. I probably would still press it, just in case. Mm-hmm. But even though even it. though you're locking it in, button's not real. At this point in time, I'm saying button not real, but I would still press it because what if I'm wrong and it doesn't hurt anything to press the button? It's interesting to me that Locke says, I was never meant to do anything. You still were blessed with the ability to walk after what happened. Right. And he's like the one that has made the most discoveries on this island, like the most progress i guess mm-hmm. for the island plot line like it brings me back to the question that we addressed in a recent flashback which was if there was one character who the show was about who would it be and i said Locke, and and you were like oh we we say jack because we've watched the whole thing i'm just like at this point in time how is it not Locke? it's Locke so is much a... Locke is is everything and jack is just the guy yelling at Locke. mm-hmm Locke is the driving force in the show right now. He he found the, the beach crab, the swan, the pearl, and he goes into the jungle more than anyone. Yeah, it's just, and it's, I really do feel like it's about his on-island journey. Like, there's a lot about everybody's journey and flashbacks and everything, but I do feel like Locke's on-island journey is the main character plot point, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. I do you a Jack-centric show. Do you think that Locke is at this low point because he feels like the bodies are stacking up on him? He blames himself for Anna. He blames himself for Boone. He's being told that the button was for nothing. And now he's just questioning it. Yeah, I I do feel like he's just putting a lot of guilt on himself for like decisions he's made thinking he's doing the right thing. Like he covered for Anna. I mean, is that is what happened his fault? No. But the whole Boone situation, I fully blamed him. I was like, that's your fault. And he probably still blames himself for that. And now that he's questioning if all of it was for no reason at all, it's going to like wrap him with guilt all over again. Mm -hmm. Because at least back then he was like, it's for a purpose. It's interesting to see the difference between the first time that he was like wholeheartedly, he was like, Boone was a sacrifice the island demanded. And then this episode, he was like, oh, yeah, the sacrifice the island demanded, like almost like making fun of himself, but in a really like dark way. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the vibe. You really liked this episode. This was a very good episode. Like it was a thinker. Mm-hmm. We get a flashback where Echo checks in at the airport and the girl is waiting for him. And I just want to say this actress knocked it out of the park in this scene. Yeah, because she was creepy as hell. Yeah. She says that she knows her father doesn't want her to speak to Echo, and Echo will think that she is crazy, but she promised to deliver a message. Yemi says he was a good priest, and Echo is just rocked to his core. He tells her speaking of his dead brother is not a joke, and she needs to be very careful. She says that she saw Yemi while she was in between places, and that he said Echo would come see her. He said even though Echo was pretending he was a good man. He wanted Echo to know that he will see him soon, and even though he does not have faith in himself, he has faith in him. 
Echo asks, who told her to say this? If her father put her up to this, why she is doing this to him? What does she want? But then Libby interrupts, asking if everything is okay. The girl says Yemi has faith in him, and one day he will believe her. And she leaves. Very, very interesting. So the question I have is, do you believe her? Yes. Do you think this was the island? God? Just fate? It's just Yemi. You think Yemi? (laughs) Yemi is all-powerful. Um, I don't know. The The thing about this show is in the world of Lost, there is a higher power. Is that higher power the island? Is the higher power a god that the island is like its giant magnet of power? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I don't know how it all works together because obviously the 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 very intense effects we see on the island do seem to reach beyond, specifically in Australia. But would I say it's God? I don't know. I'll tell you I now, it's not, it's not God. Well, I I didn't, you said it as an option. I, I, I know, but I hated that I asked it. It's not God. All religions are equal in this show. But when I say God, I'm not talking about the Christian God. Like when I earlier when I said a god, mm, a okay. higher power. Yes. Yeah, you know. So this one, know. this one is more of a where do you where do you fall? Do you think she truly was between worlds, or or between places as she's put it, or did she just have like a dream vision like the characters on the island keep having? They'll never really clarify. This is just something that I want you to share your opinion on. I definitely just see it as more of like a dream, like state, like a, yeah, basically like what the characters experienced. I, I think she phrases it like that for one, just the way that everybody, not everybody, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people see death in the afterlife and the way that this character would probably see it in the show is like, people have a common thought of you die and then you go to the afterlife, but she died and then was alive. So in her mind, she'd be like, oh, it was like an in-between. You know what I mean? It's just like the most simple way to say it. I personally have my own theory on this, but again, I can't get into it until we're all the way at the end. She was on the island because the island is purgatory. They were dead the whole time. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Viewers, please remind, or listeners, please remind me to bring this up because I guarantee you I'll forget in the next two years. Oh my God, actually, hold on just for a second. They'll never say it. But like, where is Yemi? Yemi is on the island. People say that the island is purgatory. She was on the island. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. I I cannot stress this enough. The island is not purgatory. I really like making you mad. Oh my God. Kind of makes sense though, when you think about it. I mean, you got a point. Maybe, Maybe she saw a vision of the island since Yemi keeps walking around there. But no, fuck off. Yay. The island is not purgatory. They are not dead. You know who's dead? I'll tell you who's dead. Boone, Shannon, Libby, Ana Lucia, Scott. Or is it Steve? Scott? Yeah, because they've passed on. They oh, fuck know. off. Just, just <laughs> fuck off. In the Pearl Station, Echo tells Locke about Yemi and how he died. How he ended up on the plane. 
and how both of their planes came to this island. The plane that hid the pearl. He tells him how he took the cross back since the day he first took a man's life. He asks Locke how he can say this is meaningless. He says the work being done in the hatch is more important than anything, and if Locke will not continue to push the button, he will. And then he grabs his things and leaves. I loved this scene because Locke is in such like a broody little mood. Nope, that's not the word. Broody is not the word I was going for. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Brooding brooding is a word that works like this. Like Batman broods I, all the time. <laughs> it must be, it must have double meaning because doesn't brooding also mean like, like you really want, like an if an animal is brooding, they like want to mate maybe when i think of brooding i think of bruce wayne okay yeah i I gotta look it up to see if i'm crazy oh wait it's like a thing to to do with chickens what it's a pattern of behavior of certain egg-laying animals especially birds marked by a cessation of egg laying and readiness to sit on it it's because i at one point was on like chicken talk for a really how, long okay. time. How the fuck did you spell that? Brooding? Yeah. Oh, wait, is there two different spellings? B R O O D I N G. When I look that same word up, I get showing deep unhappiness of thought. Yeah, I looked it up brooding and then I, I let it auto auto complete to with birds because I realized it's because I saw it on chicken talk because I saw, I was like, I love chickens. And whenever you go to collect their eggs, when they don't want you to collect the eggs, they'll be like, oh, she's this hen's really broody. That's why. It's because it's like, it's like they want to sit on the eggs and they want to mm. mature them. Okay. I'm you so really sorry. took us down a rabbit hole there. Anyway, Locke was trying. He was in such a broody mood, not that he wanted to sit on his eggs to hatch them, but that he was like, whatever i don't believe in any of this shit anymore and it's so funny because 20 days ago lock or like just found the hatch lock would have jizzed all over that story that story is crazy Mm -hmm. and it's like you can almost see him being shocked by it but having being like no i'm gonna stay in my grumpy mood and i liked that it's crazy that you were right that it's been 20 days was I right? You basically are like spot on. We're get, we're gonna get almost an exact number in the in the season two finale of what day it is. That's awesome. In the Swan Hatch, Jack injects Libby with the heroin, and Hurley asks if he can speak to her. I thought he was about to do it, and then he didn't, so that he could speak oh. to her because he like I, stops. I, and I thought why, he did, it, and that's sure. why she like wakes up. If he had injected her, she would not have woken up to say, okay. "Michael." <laughs> okay, my bad. Hurley stands over her and apologizes for not remembering the blankets. I start as he, crying as he begins to break down. Oh my god! Oh, this broke my heart because it's his guilt that made mm-hmm. me cry. That it's so such a small. thing thing i forgot the blankets but also she would have just accepted a picnic with no blankets and not been a you know a nitpicky naggy woman <laughs> i'm joking guys i'm fucking joking wow you, that's, that's rooted in misogyny i am a misogynist 
Hater first, feminist second. A wise girl once said that. But um, this part, I started crying. It was, it was a lot. There is just guilt to be thrown around. The these survivors are just like I fucking blame myself for this. Sawyer lost the gun. Hurley forgot the blankets. Lock covered for Anna. But the only real fucker who should be feeling the blame is Michael. And I'm sure he's got plenty too. It's like when dad drove away from the McDonald's drive-thru without our food, but it was actually the fault of the president of Ohio State University. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that's a story for flashback. If people want to if people want to know what the fuck we're talking about, let me just go ahead and tell you that there was a bottle of olive oil that was also involved. Mm-hmm. That was a pivotal, pivotal part. <laughs> As Hurley cries, Libby comes to and she tries to warn them about Michael, but they just don't understand. Jack says that Michael made it and then she panics and dies. My fucking God. I do have to say what great acting to just freeze with that look of terror on her face. You can really see it's like she's reliving it. Oh my gosh, just the pure terror. Could you imagine if the last fucking thing you heard is the man who murdered you is okay? Yeah, they're like, don't worry, he's fine. Look, he's right here. Hi, Libby. (laughs) That's not what happens, but oh my gosh. Mm. What a way to go. I really felt for her. That was so awful. Yeah. Jack closes her eyes and Hurley just starts bawling. Jack gives him like a little shoulder pat, comforting him, and then gives him some time to say goodbye. Kate just starts sobbing in the booth, and Sawyer hugs her, comforting her. And and it's a very small moment. I know we're not happy with Jack right now, but you you see as he's like packing up, he just kind of like shifts out of doctor mode and like allows him to just process everything that happened. And then the alarm starts to go off as Echo and Locke make their way back. And I want to point out that I never said anything, but Locke has been on crutches this entire episode still. (laughs) When he's pushing a whole ass airplane, I was like, wow. Wow, that's a lot for a guy with a broken femur. It really makes me look like an idiot from last episode. I was like, he can't crouch down. (laughs) Can't crouch. He's a broken leg. He's like, yeah, let me just push this whole plane and crawl down, climb down a ladder into a hatch. How did they get the crutches up and down the ladder? Probably Echo. He can do anything. They just dropped him down the first time and then Echo carried them up. But as that happens, Hurley says his final goodbye to Libby. And Michael stands in the armory looking at Henry's bed. And the camera zooms in on him. And then the computer. And that is how the episode ends. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I literally thought someone was in that bed. I was like, who is he looking at? Oh, Anna was there. Oh! I thought it was like someone sleeping. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so he's like, okay, that makes more sense. I was like, there is a head there. Yeah, so... What a doozy. Things are ramping up. And my personal belief is that the biggest episode of any TV show season ever is not the finale. It's not the premiere. It's the penultimate. It's, the penultimate. Mm-hmm. it's always the penultimate. Is that what's next week? Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh, 
Oh, okay. 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 So, okay. Here's the thing. I was actually had this thought in the middle of this episode. I was like, I had my doubts about season two, but it is ramping and I am loving the ramp. It took a while. I'm not going to lie. The first like two thirds of this season were really just like jerking me out everywhere, but I'm liking the ramp. Before we do questions, I want you to guess who the next episode is about. And to give you a little hint, I'll tell you that the season two finale is not like season one. It is centric about one person. Oh, and it's two parts, so it's centric about one person the whole time? Yes. Michael? Nailed it. The episode is titled Three Minutes. Three Minutes. Okay. Now, I've got some questions. How do you think everyone's going to react to the news about Ana Lucia and Libby? Because really, the, really the A-team knows right now. Um, I don't really know. I mean, obviously, like the background people, we probably won't even get their reaction. The only other person there's really to tell is like Saeed. Well, you got Saeed, you got Sun and Jin. Uh, Claire might have a reaction, especially because Libby helped her with the therapy shit and like the... I think... The, okay of those oh, people Bern- said, bernard oh he's gonna be sad he's gonna be very upset the rest of them are gonna be scared of the others and saeed is gonna be like something smells fishy i'm just hoping for that i'm hoping for that so much because i need my man to come through he's been really distant in our relationship lately so I need him to come through for me. How do you think people are going to react to Michael being back? He was taken straight to the hatch, so people don't exactly know he's back yet. They're going to be like, oh my god, it's so glad to have you back. <laughs> How do you think Jack and the core group are going to retaliate to Ana Lucia and Libby dying? Um, They're probably just going to storm into the jungle and do something stupid, but they, you know, they should probably think for a second and not th- trust anything Michael says. Do you think they should retaliate? No. I don't. I'm just like, I'm so beyond afraid of the others. I just feel like they're so smart. And it's like, whatever this clan of Dumbos is going to put together, it's not going to be good. They lost their cop and their soldier, he's on the fritz. And Locke is... He's got a broken femur. Yeah. What is Locke going to do now? He's going to pout for a little bit. But Echo is going to encourage him and then something is going to happen that's going to like kick him out of his funk or he's going to do something crazy and get on my shit list. Will Michael be found out? God, I hope so. I'm going to say yes, just because I got to be a positive thinker for once (laughs) in my life. I know it was a thinker of an episode and it was it was emotionally heavy, but do you have a hottie of the week? I do. It's Sawyer. Over Echo? I I know. But I'm going to be honest. I wasn't even thinking about Hottie of the Week until Sawyer was comforting Kate. And I loved that. And then I thought to myself, Lauren, it should have been Echo. But I was like, Echo was a little bit too busy being very godly this episode. And it's hard for me to put that with hotness. All right, heading into the penultimate episode, we have a three-way tie for first place. Between Sawyer, Saeed. And Jack. Oh, God. Okay. 
have to work really hard to not let it be Jack. <laughs> you got three opportunities. You could just give it one to each of them. Tie for three. No, I have two opportunities. Oh, you're saying the penultimate episode before the two-part finale. Yeah. I was looking at the two-part finale being two episodes, so I thought we were starting the finale. Oh. But it no, aired no, no, no. together. Did the yeah, finale... It, it... It aired together in one night, but we're going to split it into two. Damn. So when I watch it on Hulu, will it be two episodes or one? Okay. Just like how season one was three. Yeah, but that was three. So I sometimes they'll just air a long episode. Okay. okay the o- so- the only, to- only finale that you will watch in one is when we get to the series finale. Because Hulu has part one and part two. And then they have the uncut version which I prefer because there are some great scenes that they leave out if you watch just part one and part two. I know this is like two years away, but I do feel like we should arrange to be together to watch the series now. Oh, absolutely. I'll take time off and fly out to California if I have to. Yeah, that'd be better. I'm busy that day, so. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so like I said, penultimate episode, a lot of stuff usually happens, so. Before we get there, I want you to lock in what you think is going to happen before season two comes to a close. And then at the end of next week, we'll do some predictions for the finale. Okay. Wait, I'm so confused. I'm not making finale predictions. I'm just saying like... What do you what do you think is going to happen before season two comes to an end, whether it's in the finale or in next week? I think that... I think we're going to find out the truth behind Henry Gale's um identity like his his name is not henry gale so maybe we'll find out who he actually is maybe a little about about his place within the others i because i think there's going to be a confrontation with the others i do think that they're going to question michael one way or another i'd like to say saeed leads that charge i feel like the button isn't going to get pressed. They're going to let it go. Maybe Locke is going to throw a complete hissy fit and like not let anybody press the button. Whether that means he straight up pulls like, who shot the computer in the beginning? Well, Kate shot it by accident. Or, Or Desmond technically shot it by accident. Okay, like maybe he even does something like that where he just straight up destroys it. He's like, no, the button's not real fuck everything and he just like goes off the rails so we just had some deaths and if we're going based off of like last season boone died and he died like a little bit before the finale so i don't think anybody else is gonna die i think those are our deaths yeah that's kind of all i got we might see walt again yeah (laughs) this would be about fucking time yeah I don't know if uh, if you've caught this, but he's not in the starring anymore like he was in season one. I don't read those. I, don't, I also don't know his name. Malcolm David Kelly. I wish you wouldn't told me that. Because now if I see it, I'm going to be like, oh, he's going to be in this episode. My bad. <laughs> it's fine. I'll just not read any names. The only name I ever see is Naveen Andrews. Because <laughs> I'm like. You cut out when you did that. Oh, I just give him a kissy face. Well, that's all the questions I have, but if you, dear listener, have questions, we got a flashback episode coming up next Friday, so be sure to get your questions in. 
You can submit your questions anywhere on any of our social medias. DM them to our TikTok at LaurenGetsLost.pod, our Instagram at LaurenGetsLostPod, our Twitter at LaurenGetsLost, Facebook, not a group, LaurenGetsLostPodcast. You can also just throw them in the comments. Zane will find them anywhere. Send a paper airplane through Zane's bedroom window. I don't care. Don't forget to go check out our YouTube. I'm making a prediction that part two of the bloopers will be up by the time this episode comes out. I swear to God, I'm working on that. I've been very busy. Hopefully not just part two, but part one of season two. Oh, I wouldn't make any big statements like that, Zane. (laughs) But Zane is working so, so hard on the Vincent-centric episode that I'm not allowed to watch, but excited for anyway. And remember that when we get 100 subscribers on our YouTube, I have to read my Said and Ana Lucia fanfic, which is essentially ruined because that bitch died. Rewrite reality, Lauren. Bring her back. I've got I've got plans. I've been thinking about it. Until then, if you love our podcast, be sure to give us five stars, leave us a review, tell your friends, your family, and your dead brother. And join us next week for the penultimate episode that I forget the name of. Wait, three minutes. Thank you for listening to Lauren Gets Lost. This podcast is hosted by and edited by Zane Kohler with co-host Lauren Kohler, produced by Kate Worcester, and our music is done by David Kohler. And remember, they were not dead the whole time. Just for a little bit until they woke up during autopsy.